If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If there's a theme that many of us have heard which energizes us is the idea of living fearlessly. Many people endure all sorts of hardships in their lives in overcoming fear. We've read the stories, watched the movies that inspired us to do more in our lives, have we not? The question is, what would it be like to live fearlessly? What would it be like to get over the personal fears that you and I have in this life? These are great questions to ask. And John gives us an insight that goes beyond anything we face in this life. The reason so many live in fear, or rather fear the wrong things, is because they don't look beyond this life. We are consumed by what's going on today in our lives, which is why fear grips us the way it does. But the truth is there's a final judgment awaiting humanity. And that is what all men should ultimately fear, but they do not. Instead, we're caught up in fearing what many do in our country. In fact, here are the top 10 fears of 2022. This is just last year's study, compiled by the Chapman University Survey of American Fears. I was kind of blown away by the fact that there's an official thing like this. Here are the top 10 fears of 2020. Okay? Oh, 2022, I'm sorry. Number one, I bet you can't guess this one, corrupt government officials. That's the number one top fear of 2022. 62% in the survey responded as that being their top fear. Number two, people I love becoming seriously ill. That was the second one at 60%. Number three, Russia using nuclear weapons. That was 59%, almost 60. Number four, this is very similar to number two, people I love dying. That's 58%. Number five, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. 56%. Number six, pollution of drinking water. 54, 55%. Number seven, I was surprised this wasn't higher, to be honest. Not having enough money for the future. That was 53.7%. Number eight, tied into that one, economic financial collapse. Very much similar to number seven. They're almost tied. And then you had number nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. 52.5%. And then the last one, number 10, is biological warfare, which is 51.5%. You see, all of these are legitimate fears, right? There are things that people have experienced, they have seen for themselves, and they're terrified of them. Especially with things that have been going on the last few years. I mean, who couldn't blame that number one would be, you know, corrupt government, right? We've seen corruption at a scale we've never seen so openly before in our lives. Deals that were made behind the scenes that were for our best interest, right? Or the, the famous phrase that everybody's heard from many leaders around the country, and around the world, build back better? How much better has it gotten? We know that's not the case, right? Because there's more fear now than it was in the past. Unfortunately, 
The one fear that's not mentioned in this list is that one day we will all stand before God. We will stand before God and give an account for what we've done in this life. That's the one fear that's not mentioned in this list. It is one fear that people do have, but try not to admit, as they numb that fear by focusing on other things in the world to fill that void. What John the Apostle is telling us and his readers is that there is a way for us to be fearless or confident if we have this love that God has given us. This love goes beyond what we face in this earth. It reaches into eternity and gives us strength today. Believer, we are so caught up in today, we don't look at the end result. And the goal this morning as we open the word is to see what is it that Look, it looks like in our lives to have a developed love that God wants us to have. There is a developed or mature love that John is encouraging his readers to possess as they abide in Christ. A developed love is, number one, it's confident in verse 17. Number two, it's fearless, verse 18. And number three, it's responsive, verse 19. Let's start with number one. It's confident, verse 17. 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Love has been perfected among us in this. This is that divine love of God we just spoke of recently, that agape love that's been fully grown and developed with a result that's clear to be seen in the present. Looking back in verses previously, John is showing us in verse 12 that one proof of maturity that we have this developed love is that we have a love for other saints. In verse 12, he says this, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected or developed or completed in us. We asked this question the other week, how are we doing in loving one another? And I hope you've actually thought through that question. How is my love for my brother or sister? And that may very well be somebody in your own home. Did you know that? If you and I are children of God, then we have brothers and sisters living in our homes as well. Because we're all children of God, those that have trusted in Christ. We can't bypass our immediate family that are saved to go after someone else that is a family member of Christ that is not immediately related to us. God wants us to start in our homes. How are we doing? John will also give us more particulars into this in the coming chapter, which we will deal with as we get there and expound then. God's love develops in us to give us confidence or boldness as we stand in the day of judgment. Now the question becomes, what is this day of judgment? What is this day of judgment that John is referring to? Well, here are some verses. If you were to look at that phrase, day of judgment, here are some verses that bring up the day of judgment. And the first one, and the way it's used, is the judgment of the lost. This would be back in Matthew 11, 21 through 23, where Jesus is calling certain cities out for rejecting his ministry. It says, Woe to you, Chorazin! 
Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Jesus speaking here shows that there are degrees of responsibility based upon the light that's been received. And in eternity, those things will play out. What's more incredible in these cities that Jesus is condemning is due to their open rejection of the miracles that were done in their city. Jesus openly performed miracles to people there, and they rejected him as Messiah. Jesus stuns by saying, if that ministry and miracles, those miracles and ministry was done in Sodom, God would have never judged them with fire. What a stunning statement. Judgment from God comes in the here and now, and it also comes in eternity. So many are thinking, I will deal with the judgment later by thinking that judgment can't come now. And they are both something scripture talks about. In 2 Peter verses, chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, there's a discussion that's going on in the church back then that's still going on today. Is Jesus really going to come back? Do we really need to believe that God's going to judge this world? It's going to just keep going like it always has. Listen to what the text says here. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this... Listen to this next phrase. They willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You see, church, there are people back then and there are people today who scoff or mock at the judgment that's coming. People haven't changed. People always argue, oh, it's gotten much worse. No, a lot of the things that have always been going on were done more secretly. They're a little more open today. Social media has kind of made that evident. The way the masses have been able to be transformed by mass media today is astounding. The very phones we give our children, we wonder why their position on things of God have changed. It's because we've let them be exposed to things that they shouldn't be. We wonder why we see so many people scoffing at the judgment of God. You would think with the pandemic, people would have woken up to the reality of death and a judgment. And all we've done is try our best to extend the life we have here now, rather than to deal with the real question, what about me with God? 
How is my relationship with him? What's going to happen after I pass? What's going to happen to my loved one who dies of COVID? Those are the questions we should have been asking. Not whether you got the shot or didn't. That's the question that the church should have been asking. We bought into the politics game. Notice what it says in verse 5 that's absolutely striking. They willfully forget. People know that God created this world. They just push against that. I'm just going to deny that. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that there's a God that actually overrules and overrides everything. The one that's actually created heaven and earth. Which is one of the reasons why Genesis is so important to get right. Peter's making the statement that they should know better and they willfully forget. As mentioned, there are present implications of judgment. God judged back then in the flood by water. He will judge one day by fire. There's a destruction of nations that is coming. And if you haven't started to see the cracks that are forming right now, you're not paying attention. Believer, you need to see beyond the politics. You need to see beyond all of that to realize there's a sovereign king whose reign will be established. We need to worry less about Putin and worry more about what our walk with God is like. There are future implications of judgment in the lake of fire for the unsaved. But there's another text that is very similar in construction to what John is talking about that is giving us a close, close, if you will, input to what John is really referring to. And number two, the second use of, you know, if you will, the day of judgment is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, which is the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10, Paul is making a statement to the believers who really are carnal in the way they live. They really live in the flesh a lot. They don't walk with God as they should. And Paul is telling them in verses 1 through 10, listen to what he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Listen to this similar phrasing. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Where's this confidence? Therefore, 
we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all, this is believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul gives the church of Corinth a reminder. A reminder that it's tough in this life. A reminder that your heart wants to be with Christ. But it's painful while you're here on this earth. And he gives them an indicator that there is confidence that they can have when we will be given new bodies and be with Christ. The drive, though, is to make it our aim, and this is how you have confidence, we're going to break this down here further, is to be well-pleasing to him. Because one day we'll have to give an account for what we've done. The confidence comes from abiding in him. Look back in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So you can have confidence or shame when Jesus returns. Believer? The question is, which one do you have today? Would you be confident if Jesus came back today? Or would you be ashamed of how you've lived? Back in verse 17 of chapter 4, he says this, Because as he is, so are we in this world. Putting all these things together that we've seen, as laid out by John, when we live like him, we can have confidence when we look forward to eternity. When you and I align with the will of God, when we live as Christ lived, we will have confidence when we see him. You won't have any confidence about one day seeing him when you're looking at living life without him today, believer. You won't have confidence if you don't make him a priority today. Your fears will only increase the less time you spend with him. You want to see anxiety go through the roof? Spend no time with God. You want to see your fears seem to increase as the days go by? Spend no time with God and his word. Stop praying. See if there's no direct correlation there. So many believers will be ashamed rather than confident because their love for Jesus never developed. They, they stayed immature in their walk with God. They're children that constantly cry out for attention. And when God is wanting to pick them up by the hand and tell them to walk with him, they refuse. And they throw tantrums. And they tell God that he has no right to tell them what to do. And then when they're in the midst of struggle, they cry out. We've all been there. We've all been there. God, help me. I don't want to do this with you, but I need you now. Help. 
It is the equivalent of saying a person matters to you if you spent little to no time getting to know them. That's what a lot of believers are like. I love Jesus. Do I know much about him? No, I don't read the Bible. The question shouldn't be whether you know Jesus. Which Jesus do you know? Is it a Jesus of your own imagination? Because that's not the, re that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's unfortunately a lot, of, a lot of people today are following that Jesus. The one that they think conforms to their wishes and demands. Folks, we need to remember that Jesus is Savior, but he's also Lord and King of Kings. You need to realize that he has many, many roles that he plays in our lives. He owns us. We were slaves to sin. Paul had no problem saying, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I serve Christ. He's my master. He's my Lord. For us in America, that's offensive, isn't it? How dare you say that? How dare you tell me that someone owns me? I have my rights. I'm free. Well, how free were we the last couple years? Where did all those constitutional rights we were talking about go? There are some that truly don't know Christ. And unfortunately to them, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a scary place to be. To assume that you're one of his and you're not. Others will be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. When Jesus is right before them and they go through what they've done for him in their Christian walk. And believer, here's the thing. Most of us, we default to, oh my goodness, I, I don't want this. Because we know the sinner we are. That's our default, right? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want people to know. I don't want God to tell me. I know. But believer, you can have confidence. Even as a person that fails and sins. You can have confidence because Jesus already paid it all. And you either live this out in fear or in love. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. We must continue to abide in him. Among us has the sense of community. This is something that's to be done as a church. You know what you're not going to do well? Is this Christian life on your own. You know what so many people do that say, I don't want to be in the church because the church is full of hypocrites. It's like, I don't want to go to the gym because I don't need to work out. Yeah, you do. Folks, just as in the gym you have people that are fit and just started, so it is in the church. People that have matured and people that have just still gotten back to church and trying to live for God again. The church is for both types of people and anybody in between those. Your goal for those of you that are developed in your walk with God is as that person is that's a coach in the gym, you help a person that doesn't know what they're doing when they're picking up that weight. Like, that's too much right now. Like, 
lay off the weight there. You can't do 200 pounds in one day. That's where maturity comes in. And you tell people, hey, a little bit at a time. Which is why our love is developed or mature. We can battle fear and become fearless, believer. Number two, a developed love is fearless. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. Believer, fear and love are incompatible with one another. They don't mix. Can you really have a loving relationship if you fear somebody in dread? If love has been developed or matured in our lives, there is no fear of the wrath of God for us as believers. Believer, you need to remember this, that God deals with you differently than the world. If you are his child, he will discipline you, he will correct you, but he will never treat you like he does the world who rejects him. He will do everything he can to restore that relationship with you and me. But he will never treat us as bastards. As if he's disowned us. He never disowns his own. All of the judgment of God that has been poured out on sinners does not apply to us, believer. We are his because of what Jesus took on our behalf. So how do we know we've developed in this love? How do you practically go, hey, you know what? I know I've developed in this. It's pretty clear in my life. I know that I have. Well, one big one is a love for the brethren that we read back in chapter 2. This is a big indicator whether this love is developed in your life. It's a practical indicator. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 11. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I really appreciate the insight of Dr. Constable where he comments on the importance of loving the brethren. He says this, The person who loves is of course the person over whom God is exercising 
his controlling influence, an abiding Christian. A believer who does not love others feels guilty and fears meeting his judge, perhaps subconsciously, if not consciously. This fear is a punishment. His guilty conscience punishes him. A Christian who loves others may have other fears, but he need not fear the judgment seat of Christ. The fact that he loves others demonstrates that his relationship with God is essentially what it should be. I thought that was very helpful. Believer, if you want to have confidence before the judgment seat of Christ, then we need to grow in our love for one another. Our knowing that we will be held accountable one day for how we treat others, particularly the brethren here in this text, will be a refreshment if we've done as we should. Have you ever, have you ever, you ever had a big decision in your life that it could have gone one of two ways? And you, after the fact, you're like, man, I'm so glad I did it the right way. I'm so glad I made the right choice here. That I don't have a regret now. Believer, if we love one another as Christ has called us, there's going to be a refreshing taste and glory when Jesus is before us. And that doesn't mean that all of us do it perfectly. We won't. None of us will ever do it perfectly. But think of, think of the fact that one day Jesus is going to take what you do with other believers in the church and really present that to you. And say, all right, here's how you've done. You said this about this person. Did you go and encourage them? No. You mentioned that you loved them, but all you ever did was complain about them. You mentioned that the church mattered to you, and yet all you ever did was trash the church to your secular friends. Believer, you want to have confidence before Christ? Then you need to love the brethren as he's called you to. When God calls you out, you willingly accept where you're wrong. There's no dread when we see Christ because we've done what's right before him. You ever had a child come to you, parents, beaming, excited because they made you proud? They did right before you? They were excited. Hey, Dad, look at what I did. I drew this for you. And it wasn't perfect, right? It wasn't like Monet, right? It wasn't that good. But for them, it was an effort put in. It was time spent trying to do something to please mom or dad. And believer, I think we need to step back and kind of realize that that's how we need to view our relationship with God many times. Wouldn't we want to make him proud? Wouldn't we want our heavenly father to love what his children are doing? Wouldn't we want Jesus to be grateful for the fact that we valued what he did for us. And the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us, that we listened. God brings us into the fold with all our sin, believer. And he works on changing us from the inside out. 
Recognizing a person for who they are does not mean that you somehow approve of all that they do. You can realize that people have flaws and sin. And you don't have to approve of those things. But truly, you can love them as you should. And that may mean that you need to speak truth into that situation, that relationship that you have. Jesus forgave us when we were still sinners by offering himself before we ever loved him. The offer of forgiveness was already there before we even looked. Stop thinking you need to clean others up, believers. That's God's job. Your responsibility is to love the brethren whether or not they respond the way they should to you. Every one of us is like, it'd be so much easier if everybody responded the way that I do. Well, that's just not the case. As many different people as you see here, the diversity of takes on certain things. The person that's very straightforward to the point, they're like, why can't everybody be straightforward like I am? And the one that's like, listen, I just need it a little more gentle. I mean, you're, you're kind of pushing too hard. Man, don't they have a heart? Right? Like, that's the problem with us. We take things based on how we are many times. And here's the, here's the amazing part about reading through the Gospels. Jesus had 12 disciples. All of them were different. And believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be different than the other disciple here in your midst. Not all of us are Peters. Some of us are doubting Thomases. We don't want to admit that. We doubt the word of God all the time. Yeah, hopefully it'll work out one day. Some of us are John. We want that close relationship with Jesus. But our personalities are different. We're, we're wired differently. There's nothing wrong with that part. What's wrong is when we expect people to do things the way we would every time. And let me pause for a moment and make a statement. The Holy Spirit works through many different personalities. Your commandment from Scripture is to love others. And that means if your idea of that is doing, doing it because you're terrified, then you have not matured in your love for God. And God's love has not matured in your life. If you're terrified of what God might do if you don't, then you haven't fully developed in this love. Because a mature love understands who God the Father is, understands his holiness, understands his justice, understands his love. And understanding his love, they see the balance. They see that even when I fall, the Lord will pick me up. And they apply that to their brothers and sisters. You may have other fears that come up, but the one that truly matters is that you are right with God and walking faithfully with him. That is the number one concern that you and I should have. Jesus himself makes the statement that you should fear God more than man. And why are we always fearing man before God? Why is it that we're more afraid of what people will see in our lives than what God already sees clearly, transparently, better than we do ourselves? 
If you walk faithfully with him, that's something that money can't buy or anyone else can give. That can't be purchased by anything on this earth. That close walk with God. You want to live fearless before God? Realize that you're already accepted in the beloved. Christ has already paid everything. And out of that, you live with no fear. The reason you and I have fears arise before our, our walk with God is because we dread to know what it's like one day to have to tell him that we absolutely embarrassed him in the way that we live. And that we're ashamed. Perfect love casts out fear. When you and I have matured in our love for God, and fear doesn't hold us the way that it does, we're not terrified anymore to walk before him. We walk in confidence, as, as scripture says, presenting ourselves boldly before the throne of grace. We come boldly. Why? Because we have everything we need in Christ. Not because our performance is great. It's not. Look at your last week. Did it go great? Did you bat a, a thousand? No. This love is not found or developed anywhere else but in God himself. You can't develop this by reading a Christian author. You can't develop this by simply doing things outside the word of God. This is a love that God matures us in when we are faithfully in the word and prayer. That is why as his love is perfected or developed in us, it's also responsive. Number three, a developed love is responsive. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Believer, don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever forget that he started it all. The very reason you and I can be confident and fearless is because we are loved. Obedient children are the happiest children. Culture will tell you that's not true, but it is. A child who is obedient knows that mom and dad are pleased with what they've done, will have more confidence in their life, will be more happy in life, will feel contentment in their life on a scale that everybody else doesn't. Essentially, when a child is disobedient, when we are disobedient before God, what we're saying is, God, we know what you said, and we, as, as children, mom and dad, we know what you said, but what I think is better. And true joy is found in doing what God says. When you and I realize this truth, it's more than just words on a page to us. We don't read the Bible out of dread, out of, I got to do my Bible reading. But man, God is amazing. Look at what he's done. Look at what he showed me. We're motivated to love him and others well when we make him the priority that we should. It's essentially knowing your heavenly father is in charge and he loves you. 
When you think the world is falling apart, realize that God is still in charge, believer. And stop forgetting that. Stop getting caught in the thicket. See the bigger picture. You can't help but respond yourself for what God has done as your Heavenly Father for you. By giving His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving you the Holy Spirit to assure your heart before Him. Think of how responsive someone is when their walk with God has matured and their love for Him has matured and developed. When we're facing a tough financial situation, we remember how faithful God has been in the past and that our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask. That's when you know you've, you've developed in that love. You're not freaking out when it goes bad. When it seems like our relationships have fallen apart, we remember the steadfast love of God for us. We don't see ourselves as victims, but strive to live to please Him, knowing that at times it will be difficult, but He's called us to live peaceably with others as much as we can. As much as we can. Believer, that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. The question is not whether or not it always will. The question is, are you striving to do as much as you can on your end? Because I dare say some of us have given up before we've really tried. When we're facing a health crisis, we cry out to him knowing he's near to the brokenhearted. He knows more than anyone else what we're going through. Believer, none of us will ever have the right to say, where were you, God? When? You and I don't have that right. He's been there the whole time. It's always been us that's walked away. We've been the disobedient children. He's been the faithful father we were the ones that walked away from him walked away from the fellowship walked away from the light and that is why so many of us have not matured you see we're so busy those of us that are immature in our walk with God at times we're so busy comparing ourselves to somebody else as if God cares for us to do that you know, at least, at least I'm better than they are in this area. You see what they did? I can't even believe they got that angry. What about your walk? What about what God wants you to do? You see, those that have matured in their faith are looking out for those that are spiritually weak to help them, not to judge them. When I see a person that's broken and hurting in whatever circumstance it is, be it relationships, be it a marriage, be it raising their children, I don't look at them and go, man, I'm doing better than you are. Because it's not what God wants. But not, it weren't for the grace of God, I'd do the very things that they're doing. 
And the old me would always brag about it internally. Look at how much better I'm doing. It's an area that God's had to work in my heart. Because it becomes so personal. Because you become so protective. You think you're so much better than everybody else. You see, here's the thing. Every single one of us has areas of our walk with God that God has strengthened and areas that are still weak. I'll give you a for instance. Some of you are very giving people. It takes nothing for you to give to what God calls you to. You do it normally. It's a part of your life. You do it without even thinking twice. Others, maybe if somebody preaches something on it, I'll do it. Maybe if it's brought up that we have a special fund that's needed, I'll do it. you got to kind of pull me to do it. And so this group over here looks at this group and goes, well, why, why aren't they giving? Don't they realize what God's done? And then this group says, well, maybe I'm not giving, but look at what I'm doing over here better. Like, you might be giving, but look at where you're not consistent over here. And believe it, this is essentially where we have to be careful. Because in different areas, God is working in all of us. What may seem to be an easy fight for you against sin is a hard struggle for someone else. What seems to come without any effort to you right now was actually many years of God working that out in your life. You just didn't want to see it. What it takes to build a godly marriage takes a long time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It doesn't happen overnight. It isn't just you walk the aisle, you commit it to each other, and everything is now happily ever after like the fairy tales. There's a real fight to keep what God has asked you to commit. Believer, it's not just a matter of beating yourself up, but rather remember what he's done on your behalf. That's what sparks the love for him in us. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Now remember, we never make ourselves love Christ more by flogging ourselves for not loving him more. We come to love those better whom we love by knowing them better. If you want to love Christ more... Think more of him. Think more of what you have received from him. So in conclusion, church, has God's love developed in your life? Has God's love developed in your life? Do you live in fear constantly? When the judgment, of seat is, uh, uh, judgment seat of Christ is brought up, do you dread that? Is it like, no, no, not today, Lord, don't come back today. I'm embarrassed right now. I'm ashamed. I don't want to say anything right now because I'm embarrassed. I'm terrified of how I'd have to say something to you or how I've done. Are you afraid of messing up again? Afraid that God is out to get you for not living the perfect Christian life? Believer, that is not a love that's matured. If you pause for a moment, ask yourself, 
Would you be afraid or be ashamed if you stood before Jesus right now? Or would you have confidence? So glad to see you. So glad to see the one who paid it all for me. Maybe you'd be ashamed at how you've treated other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you'd have a reason to do so, to be ashamed. One of them can very well be members of your own immediate family if they know Christ. It's hard. It's not easy. Husbands, maybe you'd be flat out scared if you had to give an account of how you've loved your wife. Wives, maybe you'd be ashamed if you just were to ask how you've spoken of your husband to others. The Lord knows. God knows even when our spouses don't. Parents, maybe we would be ashamed in how we've led our homes if we stood before him today. Maybe there are areas that, man, God, I know I told you I was going to do this, but I, I really haven't. If we're not abiding in him, we will be afraid of him. Believer, the reason why you and I are terrified of having to see Jesus is because we are not walking with him faithfully today. Because if we have a close walk with him, we're going to have confidence. We're going to look forward to seeing him. Because our relationship with him is solid. When we're not abiding, all you can have is all sorts of fears creep up. Including the fear of, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. How do I know I know God? Look at how I'm living. That confidence comes in abiding. Think of it this way. If you're walking in darkness as a child of God, why wouldn't you be afraid? Why wouldn't you be afraid? You can't see where you're going. And believers, this is where the church community comes in, to stir one another up. Because here's the truth. Not a single one of us can do it on our own. It takes the body of Christ to stir these things up. When we go, yeah, brother, sister, here's where I've really blown it. How's God working in your life? Here's what he's telling me I need to work on. I'm doing that. And that's where the church community comes together in a relational discipleship. We build one another up as pilgrims on the same journey. The destination, heaven. And we're still here on earth. Not this breaking off into our own little segments. Don't tell me what to do, pastor. I know better than everybody else. You need other believers in your life. I need other believers in my life. Stop pretending you have it figured out. Brother or sister, learn from the other saints that God has developed things in their life. Learn from other saints that God has developed this love in. Don't push away others in pride that God is using to develop your love for him. Did you know that God is using people in your life at all times to develop you? Have you thought that? Have you considered that? He hasn't brought people into your life without a purpose. It isn't as if God's like, let me just annoy you. That's not what God's doing. And yet that's our impression. 
God, why would you do this to me? Why would you make me go through this? He has a purpose. All things work together for good. All things. The most irritating things of your life are there for a reason. The most painful things in your life are there for a reason. The most joyous things in your life are there for a reason. Let's stir this up in our church. Constantly being reminded of what God has done on our behalf first. Keep the first things first. Church, let's go back to our first love. Go back to our first love. Let's not just talk about how Jesus matters to us. Let's make that a point in our lives. Let's not just go, great sermon, let's do this again. Let's do something with it. Let's do it for the one that loved us first. Listen to these encouraging words as we close from Charles Spurgeon. Yet we must not try to make ourselves love our Lord, but look to Christ's love first. For his love to us will beget in us love to him. I know that some of you are greatly distressed because you cannot love Christ as much as you would like to do. And you keep on fretting because it is so. Now, just forget your own love to him and think of his great love to you. And then immediately, your love will come to something more like that which you would desire it to be.